Yes, hello. It's Jason Louv. Welcome back to the Ultra Culture Podcast. And please welcome back Gary Lockman, who we've had on the podcast before. He is one of the world's foremost writers and scholars of esotericism. He was an obvious person to turn to to shed some light on the ongoing conflict in Ukraine, as his most recent book is called The Return of Holy Russia, an in-depth look into the Russian esoteric world. So we got into a, some deep territory here. We had a great conversation about some of the esoteric undercurrents in Russia, in the conflict between the, the accelerating conflict between Russia and the West, not in a conspiratorial sense, but in an intellectual and ideological, in some cases, mythological sense. It was a great conversation, and you're really, really going to enjoy it. I definitely did. Okay, and I have something just to throw out there for you to start thinking about. Magic.me has a new course coming. We are going to announce it very soon, and it's going to be a big deal. I'm not going to say too much about it, or actually, I'm not going to say really anything about it right now, other than it's coming very soon. So keep your eyes out, keep your ears open because we will announce it on the podcast as well. And there will be a very limited window at the beginning to get in. So keep aware. The new course is coming. And if you listen to the podcast and you're on our mailing list, you will be the first to hear about it. And of course, you can find all of our current courses at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. All right. Please welcome Gary Lockman. Okay, so Gary, thank you very much for being back on the podcast, especially at short notice given current events. It's lovely to have you back. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jason. Um, good to hear from you again. So I suppose we, we should just cut straight to the chase, which is... What is your take on what is happening in the Ukraine, particularly from, of course, there's, of course, the, the exoteric and the esoteric levels? Well, I mean, I have to say um, I'm saddened and shocked and, all. Uh, you know, what can you say? But I'm sadly not, not surprised um, because it seemed that this was something that was on the cards, at least according to everything that I had read when I was researching um, my book. Um, the return of Holy Russia. And I have to say, I feel, what's the word? Um, I feel reticent to try and, you know, make hay at, out of this by, you know, promoting my book. But I, I did talk about, um, not not only this, but how should we say, it? what's happening now and can be seen or I think is, is very likely informed by a kind of... Um, religious sort of over overview or, or, or a general, you know, sort of backstory, as we say today, um, that whether cynically or, you know, earnestly, uh, Putin, uh, sort of is motivated by, I mean, if, if you're aware of his speeches over the past several years, you'll see references to certain historical context of of uh russia pre-soviet well soviet russia but also pre-soviet russia 
Um, but one of the fundamental things that's going on now uh, with Ukraine, because I mean, Ukraine's been a place where uh, it's it, it's been a, a part of the world that's been fought over uh, for many years, and, and certainly it has long historical ties and connections and tensions <laughs> and, and wars uh, with Russia. And also the other, the other neighbors, I mean, like Poland and Lithuania and places like that. This is going back, you know, many centuries. But Kiev or Kiev um, is more or less where Russia started in the sense of a unified entity. And this was a time that's known as Kievan Rus. It's uh, it's also sort of known as the uh, kind of lost golden age, a lost age of uh, a lost kingdom. To some degree, the equivalent, let's say, of the Arthurian sort of legends, um, you know, for the English. Um, it's this wonderful time of knights and warriors and battles and, and also magic and fairy tales and all that. And um, this, this was the beginning. This was when the... Um, the, the Rus, the Russian people, who were at that time were amalgamation of the um, indigenous Slavs who had been there for some time, and then these Vikings who had come, um, uh, sort of from up, up towards St. Petersburg down through the river system through Novgorod and down finally down to the Dnieper, is the river that cuts through um, the you know uh, the landmass there leading into the Black Sea and all that, and. Um, it, long story short, um, there were these Vikings. They, the Slavs said, "Look, instead of coming and raiding us all the time, why do you just be here now and and and, and be our policeman, and we'll take care of you, and you can you can fight off the other Vikings when they come." And and this is this is the you know, mythological or historical beginning of kind of uh, of Russia. There's a Viking named Rurik who starts the line, <clears throat> and these become the people known as the Rus. And then Kiev, Kiev is. This is their sort of central city, and um, it um, Vladimir the first, who's the uh, grandson of Olga, Prince Olga, um, who had converted to uh, Greek Orthodox after a visit to Constantinople. She was completely overwhelmed by the beauty of Constantinople, and uh, she tried to convert her son, and, and so that he would convert, you know, all of the Rus. Um, he wasn't taken with it. He was still pagan. But her, um, his son, Vladimir I, her grandson, he decided that he wanted to basically get in to, um, with uh, the Romans who were in Constantinople um, uh, um, at, at that time. And by converting, this would be a way. And so he did, long story short, um, and then went about converting all of even Rus, the, 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 the Russia at that time. And, that, and, and for uh, Putin, this is a very symbolic, powerful um, place and center. And uh, I, I mentioned in the book in um, 2015, he had this huge statue erected of Vladimir I just outside uh, the Kremlin. And this apparently the foundation stone of this statue was taken from uh, Kherson which was one of the cities that was just you know, taken recently. Um, it's a port city in Crimea. And that was the place where Vladimir I converted. And I think 988 or 989. Um, did, did he mention, I, so I did watch his, his hour-long speech at the beginning of mm, the war, mm. and I saw him 
essentially calling back to a lot of the historical context of mm. Lenin creating the Ukraine and and so forth. But I may have missed. I may have. Did he did he talk about the go back further? If he did, I no, I mean, but no, no, this is the thing. I mean, uh, Putin's been saying that Ukraine was invented by Lenin, but, but it's not true. OK, I mean, it's an air. It's an it, it's a huge area that, that's been fought over over the centuries. Um, I mean, uh, there's Western Ukraine that was sort of more Poland than I said, Lithuania back in, I don't know, 15th, 16th century, something like that. Um, and I mean, even, you know, further back, I mean, this golden age of Kievan Rus with, with the, uh, the, the original, uh, sort of, um, uh, Russians start, you know, uh, adopting, uh, Greek Orthodox Christianity. They were overrun by the Mongols in about the 13th century or so. So does that it was this period of the Mongol yoke? So I mean, there's all this, there's all this mixture. But I'm saying when when Putin says it was invented by Ukraine, he he must he must mean in some kind of you know independent nation state kind of I thing. I think so. To, in, to, but but, but, but rather, but rather, I mean, in the sense that it, it, it had its own entity. It was its own entity at at, at, at different times. But it's always had this because the thing with Russia, it's like it's the um, the father, the czar, is the gathering in of all the Russias. So there's Russia, but then there's the Belarus, there's another Russia. So there's Russia, and then there's the sort of satellite kind of, um, you know, uh, slightly smaller <laughs> Russias. But they all belong to this one big kind of thing. So, so do you think that, that, does that mean it's safe yeah. to say that kind of Putin was clearly creating this idea that, the Ukraine is essentially Russia has a territorial right to the Ukraine that it is part of Russia, and it very much reminded me of kind of Hitler wanting to annex Austria, perhaps, and and reunite his idea of a mythical well, Germany. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, well. So is it safe to kind of say that no, that is not correct? How should we say it? I mean, historically, as I said, Ukraine was part of what was known as you know Russia, but not Russia that's known today. Not, not, uh, you know, I mean, the thing today is that this is the only time where Russia hasn't been an empire. If you know Russian history, Russia has always been an empire, uh, it, except, except, you know, for the, the few centuries when it was under the Mongol yoke, uh, it was subsumed under the Mongol empire. But out of that rose the Muscovite empire. That, that's when Moscow became more powerful, the north. So it moved to power after the Mongols conquered. Kiev, Kiev was no longer the, the sort of power center. And later on, this is like, you know, short, shorthand Russian history, but later on, Moscow became sort of the power center. Ivan the Terrible and, and all of that. And this whole theocracy came out of that, where this, this unity between the church and state, which is, a, again, that's another thing. There's this long whole religious history, um, unification between the church and state um, in Russia that at different times ha has been, you know, in power, other times hasn't been. Um, but um, in some ways, you know, pe people are saying this is what Putin has in mind too, because he has very, you know, strong ties. Or he has uh, strengthened his ties and also ties between the state with the, you know, the, the church there as well. So, I mean, there's this, there's this long historical things being played out, but, you know, does it, but Ukraine is an independent nation and has been, you know, um, and so, um, but how should we say it? 
from, say, his point of view, or at least from the point of view of the rhetoric that has is informing some of his, you know, decisions. It's no, he, you know, he always talks of Ukraine in quotation marks as being, um, you know, it, it's it's not really independent, but. You know, I mean, what's next? <laughs> you know, well, that's that's the, what everyone's wondering. Who's I the next? Well, how, how how far the right. quotation marks extend? Right, right, right. That's slightly very worrying. So it's interesting that you bring up kind of the mythical re- resonance of of mm-hmm. this in the past, because if it, it seems to me, so my my read of kind of where where Russia has or where the where the ideology has been going in Russia is that they are trying to reconstruct a, a mystic and this idea of traditionalism as a state religion perhaps which I, I guess is probably it's very hard to say as an outsider that you understand anything that's going on there but certainly that that, that is one image that is being pro- projected of the kind of Duganist fourth mm-hmm. fourth political mm-hmm. theory or traditionalist state ideology rather than what it was previously. So I'm kind of wondering when you're talking about these mythological resonances, is this something that Putin is drawing on politically to establish a territorial claim or just a a national myth of why, of why this invasion is happening? Well, I mean, you know, it's, as we said, it's, it's something that's in the rhetoric. I mean, how much he actually buys into it, um, how much he really believes, I suspect, you know, he's a, well, he must be a very good political uh, tactician and strategist. Otherwise he would not have been in power for the last uh, 22 years. Uh, so he, he knows, he knows what he's doing. Um, and again, I'm, I'm no expert on this. I came into this because I, the previous book, Dark Star Rising about Trump, but I had a long section on, on Russia in there. Um, and people like Dugan and his connection with the alt-right and how, Putin was doing on a large scale, on a like a network level, what what Trump was doing is kind of a one man show, you know, creating reality and all that. And I had leftover material and then I, um, you know, wanted to do something with it. And then there was this New York Times article about, you know, Putin back in 2014, giving a reading list to his regional governors. And on that reading list were philosophers I, you know, I, whose work I knew, Berdyaev, Soloviev, a more political one named um, Ivan Ilyin, who I wasn't um, familiar with, but subsequently came to know. And he's the one who's really informing um, um, Putin in many ways, because his name comes up in many, many of his speeches. And he's someone who does have this theocratic um, he did have this theocratic kind of view. Uh, he was completely anti anti Soviet. He was a white Russian uh, emigre who was shipped out with several others by Lenin, who wanted to get rid of these people. He couldn't eradicate them, you know, just eliminate them. But he couldn't have them in the country anymore. And so he shipped Ilyin out, and and Berdyaev was another one. And this is back in like 1922. So it's a uh, hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, the philosopher whose geopolitical ideas are in many ways informing what's happening in Ukraine was shipped out of St. Petersburg on what's known as the philosophy steamers. And these were all these intelligentsia whom Lenin, who was contemporary of Ilyin, uh, could not eradicate. He, he, he knew he couldn't kill them, basically, because the, 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 you know, the news would be too bad <laughs> about that. So, but he, he got rid of them. So he sent them out, exiled them to Europe. And Ivan Ilyin um, was this radical theocratic um, 
we can call far right. In in a way, if you know Russian literature, if you know Dostoevsky's brothers Karamazov, um, the Grand Inquisitor. You know, the Grand Inquisitor, um, this the, the parable of the Grand Inquisitor, Jesus comes back during the Inquisition and he's arrested by the Inquisition because he's come back to preach freedom and everyone taking the burden of freedom and, you know, being like he. And uh, he's finally uh, has to, you know, confront the Grand Inquisitor. And the Grand Inquisitor said, look, why, why have you come back? You know, you're just causing a lot of trouble. People don't want freedom. They want bread and circuses. They want to be taken care of. They're children. They don't know what to do with freedom. It's something that is a burden to them. Think of what we've done all these years to take care of them and guide them and shepherd them and all that. You're just causing trouble coming back here and, and asking them to take on this horrible, horrible burden. So I'm sorry, but we have to kill you. And so, 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 um, Ilian's philosophy of society is as much like that, where there's a kind of elite um, who are spiritually awakened to the burden, you know, of reality and all that, but they will guide, you know, the masses. And in some way, you know, this vision, but the thing that really, how should we say, that really informs Putin is um, when Ilian was a white, you know, Russian uh, uh, emigre, um, first in Germany and Berlin, and then he had to he had to leave because he disagreed with Hitler about some things, and then he went to Switzerland. He wrote a series of essays that later were republished in the nineties uh, after you know Glasnost and Perestroika, when there was you know lessening of restriction and and this verboten. Um, I forget what the Russian word is, but material was now available. And one of these essays was about what would happen once the what would happen to Russia when the USSR collapsed, when the Soviet regime collapsed? Because he was he firmly believed it would. It, it would not last. And his prediction was true. But he talks about the balkanization of Russia, meaning that, you know, this huge entity would be cut up and that the Western states would, you know, come in with blandishments about, you know, self-determination and the free market and independence and all that. And this would lead to this kind of dissection. Because for Ilian, Russia was not... This is the strange thing. Russia was not a nation. It was it was it, it was it was an entity. It was an organic kind of living being that stretched across the whole continent. And this was this very very different way of looking at you know society and culture than from the West. And um, so this this sort of this was exactly what happened, you know, in the nineties and all that. And so um, you can say in a way that you know Putin is trying to reform this 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 once larger organic kind of, you know, unity, but seem seemingly much against the will of some of the other participants in it. Right. Well, it seems to me that that would immediately kind of lead into Dugan's Eurasianist strategy and, mm -hmm. and worldview mm -hmm. that he out. And I wanted to just directly ask, ask what you think, how big of a role you think that plays in the current situation? Because it's very easy for Western media to some extent to kind of fixate on Dugan as perhaps having more power than he does because he's such a Hollywood yeah, kind yeah, of character. Yeah. Oh, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's the new Rasputin or something. Right, right, right. But, yeah. But I his, mean, that's the whole, that's the whole thing. I mean, and at different times he's also said, well, no, no, no. I mean, you, you, you know, you guys are exaggerating it all, but then he's also said, yes, yes, yes. So, but I mean, he, he seems to have at least played a role in the original annexation of Crimea. So yeah, my, my, that was immediately what I thought of. 
when basically what my immediate reaction, and it could very much be wrong, to seeing this is Putin and presumably Dugan have seen that the U.S. is very weak post-pandemic. We had an extremely embarrassing withdrawal from Afghanistan after 20 years and are just at mm. peak national and war fatigue and probably has a very low view of Biden. And it seems that he just decided this is this is the, the best time to go for it and begin to not only mm. take Ukraine, but expand this kind of Eurasianist strategy of allying with China and so forth. Now, this was my snap reaction, and I could mm. be completely wrong about this, but I'm wondering what your thoughts on what your, what your thoughts are with that, and perhaps just the general question of of the influence of the, the philosophers that you're talking about, but also, also Dugan, and pr mm. presumably Dugan is influenced by by the philosophers you're talking about as well. So. I mean, he's he's certainly in that in that um, you know soup uh, of, of ideas. Um, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I you know who knows you know exactly what's going on in in um, Putin's mind and all that, and um, who knows how much he draws on from all these things. But it's it. But they are in the air. They're they're in the kind of you know um, atmosphere. Um, that's kind of the ideological, you know, setting for what, what's what's taking, you know, what's happening now. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've done a few interviews already, and 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 some some things online, and people saying, oh, this is, you know, all, all kind of occult, kind of weird, crazy stuff. We don't need this to explain. And I'm not, I'm not saying this is an explanation. All I'm saying is like this stuff is there. I'm, I'm, I mean, because I, I, there's no conspiracy theory. I'm, I'm not inventing anything. They, all you have to do is kind of like spend a little time and do a little reading. Uh, follow up on some of the references Putin has given in his speeches for the past several years, and you'll find references to Third Rome. You'll find references to Eurasia. You'll find them, and I would say, in a general sense, this is all part of you know giving Russia a new identity because Russia went through freefall in the nineties. I mean, and again, this is part of the long thing. It just the Western idea of liberalism and free market and all that it doesn't work. I mean, that that that's the kind of how should we say the new Slavophile? You know the the the, the new um, what is it? Uh, 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 Russia first, you know, like America first. The new Russia first sensibility is, yeah, we've tried. Look at our history. Peter the Great, you know, he tried to bring in all this Western stuff, a variety of different things. It just doesn't fit. And look what happened in the nineties. You know, um, the USSR went. We were open to all of you know the, the Western ideas, the free market. Francis Fukuyama said it's the end of history. You know, um, Hegel was right. Here's the spread of you know uh, freedom, blah blah blah, and it just turned into you know a collapse. And out of that collapse, as has happened in many cases throughout Russian history, if you do a little homework and you see the strong man emerges in the chaos and brings it all together, gathers it all together. And the recent, you know, fellow doing that is Putin. And he's been in place now for, you know, more than a decade. So, I mean, there's a, again, I'm not, there's a strong strain in Russia. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm on the outside. I'm here at home. I'm just reading books and, you know, doing research. I'm not on the ground in Russia. I don't know too many Russian people, but I, I, I have some contact. But I do know there is a strong strain within Russia of 
for the sake of a better term, westernizers, liberals, Navalny, we know that. Novgorod is historically a city that's been associated with um, you know, liberal ideas and progressive ideas in the West and has resisted attempts, you know, historically to, to be incorporated in Moscow and in different forms and all that. But in general, it does seem to be that the kind of, how should we say it, you know, one man strong auto, auto, autocratic rule is something that it kind of, it's the default setting. It, it seems to kind of funnel down to that whenever there's a kind of shakeup and there's like, you know, things have gone crazy. Then it, it goes down like ping down the, you know, those kind of, you know, uh, Japanese or Korean, you know, uh, uh, gambling machines. <laughs> the ball goes down right. and then bang, it, it goes into that kind of thing. You know, it's just sort of and and Putin is the, the, the most recent um, embodiment of that. Yeah, I, I assume that's probably true for people everywhere. Mm, more mm. beyond just just Russia, we mm, saw it with, yeah. with Trump and so forth. But I, I was particularly well. You you talk about kind of liberal outposts in Russia. It seems to me that that is how Putin is casting Ukraine as this kind of outpost of NATO at their doorstep, bringing neoliberalism into Russia and and threatening them with nukes. And and oddly enough, his narrative of denazification of the ukraine which i had has some merit because azov battalion is there and apparently is sponsored by western intelligence agencies mm -hmm. but there's also nazis fighting on the on the russian side so but it, it, what do you what I do mean, you I, mean, I, I have to say I, I i i don't know all about that but i i would think if he occupies ukraine then he certainly will have nato on his doorstep won't he well, it, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, unless he's going to keep it, it's a completely buffer zone now. But it's sort of like, well, it will be on your doorstep, won't it? Well, the president's currently um, applying, kind of begging for NATO membership, and they, they've been drifting in that direction yeah, for yeah, for yeah. years. I mean, so I, I have to say, I mean, all, all of that, I don't know. I mean, I, have, I mean, I, 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 um, I mean, the book, um. Return to Holy Russia isn't only about you know what's happening now. I mean, it's a whole kind of the notion that there is this kind of one of the things that the West doesn't understand. I would say about Russia um, is that well, two things. When the book came out, whenever I was doing interviews about it, the first thing people said, you know, and it, most people I was talking to, was they talked Russia it was like the USSR, Soviet Union. But if you know Russian history, that actually is an anomaly. It only lasted 70 years, and prior to that was this long, a good part, theocratic, you know, um, secular religious kind of union. Not, not, not all the time. Peter the Great, you know, changed that. He, you know, he, uh, secular was stronger and so on and so on. But um, earlier than that, for a much longer time, which is to say there's a powerful religious sense throughout, you know, the Russian psyche for much of their history earlier uh, than uh, the Soviet time. And even during that time, there was a powerful undercurrent to it. Um, but um, I mean, that, that, that was the other thing is like, that, you know, we might, okay, we have a kind of sense of Rasputin and, you know, Nicholas and Alexandria. And it, I just mean the popular sensibility of like what Russia is when you, so don't really know this long history of it. And I, I didn't know it myself. I mean, I, I one of the things I enjoyed about doing the book is like I learned about it. That's why I didn't set out wanting to write a history of Russia, but I turned out writing one because I got so um, 
interested in in finding out about it because it is it is a very very strange other place yeah i was going to ask you about that because about the fall of communism because Mm. in my i interacted with a lot of russian people when i still lived in new york and i was always shocked by how or russian kind of occult people and i was always shocked how how much more serious they were than than Western students and how much it really was their entire life and they were completely immersed in it. And my kind of operative theory at the time was that when the wall fell and the USSR came down, that they must have, and certainly there was probably a, suddenly a, a huge explosion of access to this material and people needed something, a myth to keep their you know, a sense of stability in their lives and something to something to cling on to in a situation of total chaos like that. But then kind of looking at your book, I'm wondering, well, maybe that's an incorrect read on my part. Maybe this this is just how Russia is, basically, and that perhaps communism represents an anomaly in that in some ways, or maybe even, you know, communism has its own messianic and millenarian qualities to it in its own way. So I'm kind of curious your thoughts on that, but specifically if what is kind of the kind of traditionalism that Putin is bringing back, is that real it? Well, bringing back, is that really something new or is it kind of in conversation with this much longer tradition? Well, I mean, uh, that's the whole idea of Holy Russia. Um, and this is, well, in, in a broad sense, it's the, the, the third Rome um, kind of theme which is the the first Rome, um, which fell to the barbarians. And then the second Rome was Constantinople, Constantine City, the you know, the, the the capital of the, the Eastern Empire, which um, lasted for quite some time, uh, um, more or less a millennium um, after Rome. And then it fell to the Turks in 1453, uh, which was, I mean, it, that, uh, that, Obviously, that's a very important date in history, you know, by itself. But it's also a very, very important date in terms of esoteric history, which is a kind of sideline because a lot of things happened because of the fall of Constantinople. Like, the, in a way, it was the beginning of the Renaissance because all this material that had been in the East, all these, you know, scribes and clergy and scholars paying to flee from the Turks, sold off all their libraries. And this is how Cosimo de' Medici got a hold of the Corpus Medicum and Plato and so on and so on. But um, that's when Moscow, which had only recently um, sort of raised itself out of the Mongol yoke and and had become the power in the north um, uh, uh, after Kiev had, had and, and the early Kiev and Rus Russian cities had fallen uh, uh, to the Mongols. Um, and then they overthrew the Mongols, and then, but that's when Moscow became. So Moscow was the third Rome, and then there's all these. There's a variety of different myths linking um, the Russian czars. Czar means Caesar uh, to to the Romans, um, and, and the, the, the double headed double headed eagle. That's an old Roman standard, and all that sort of thing. So this was something. Yes, they they were carrying on. They were the true the last bastion of, of, of the true faith. And um, this was played out, let's say, um, on the European stage uh, in the, the Napoleonic Wars, because it was finally Russia that had conquered Napoleon. And it, it was, cons- they were called Holy Russia after that. And you have the Holy Alliance. 
Um, and um, Alexander I had saved the monarchies of, of, of Europe and had reinstated. And he himself, as I point out in the book, was informed by a variety of different sort of mystical and spiritual uh, Masonic uh, and Rosicrucian sorts of ideas um, and, and so on. Again, there's a long, long history. I, I'm not saying, Putin, again, Putin, I, I have no idea what's going on in Putin's mind. I, mean, I, I think it was like Merkel who said, like, she she looked, she had some meeting with him. She was looking at him. She said, he is from another planet or something. I have no idea <laughs> what's going on in this man's mind. I cannot see behind his eyes. And so, I, so but don't look to me. Don't ask me what's going on in his head. But I can tell you, these are the kind of ideas that are, you know, if he's a shark, he's swimming in these ideological waters, you know, that, that are around him. Yeah, I, I, clearly nobody. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I, I think, that, well, that was kind of the question with, with Putin and the this nature of Russian propaganda is mm -hmm. presumably he doesn't believe any of it. It just happens that that happens to be useful for one segment of the population or, he's, or projecting he's creating, one thing. I mean, he's doing it now. I mean, he's creating reality, you know. Um, and if you don't accept it, you, you get 15 years, you know, um, in, in prison. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think it's very interesting that at least from what I've seen and in, in reading Russian media like Pravda and looking at this, that the, the, the state mythology that he is trying to project right now is that Ukraine is basically, Ukraine is the same thing as the Nazis coming to Stalingrad, that, that they are the Nazis. And yeah, but, they, but, but they're not, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> well, right, not, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So it, obviously it's, and they, they have to, but it is quite, it actually is, I, I don't know if funny is the right word, but it is right. interesting how much that well, propaganda I, mirrors yeah, Western yeah, propaganda, yeah. where but, we have but, to go but, on a special but, humanitarian but, mission sure, to denazify sure. and all but of it's this. A kind of, but it's a kind of contradiction because the Nazis and Stalingrad, that is war. That was like one of the great, you know, tremendous... Uh, moments in this battle, which was no longer world communism, but it was Mother Russia against the invading, you know, Teutons once again. <laughs> they were coming back one more time, um, and um, so that was that was again. So that was war. The, the, he again. He's uh, again, but he's calling it a military op special military operation. Right. This kind of antiseptic um, newspeak. Which is very similar to what what the the United States the United I mean, States does. It's basically the same thing. I, mean, it, uh, I mean, the point is, it's not like oh, because you know, oh, what well, what about? It's like, well, it's not, uh, throw a rock in any direction, you will hit corruption and evil, <laughs> and we just have to fight it wherever it is. It's not like, well, if you don't do it, well, if if you can't fix all of it, don't don't fix any of it. That's like. That's bad logic, mate. I mean, come on. Just no, 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 that's not what I'm happening. No, that's I'm, I'm, not what I'm not saying you're yeah. saying that. I'm yeah, just yeah. saying that's, I mean, I, 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 I just see that. I mean, I, I scroll through Twitter and all that, and my heart just goes out to this, whoever's in those bloody apartment buildings. Oh, oh yeah. You know, so, where, where the yeah. missiles are going. I mean, I, again, I, I, I don't mean, to, I was going to say, I was going to correct myself and be sentimental, but Jesus, why shouldn't I be? I mean, people are dying out there, but I just mean, you know, there's all this, there's a lot of chatter about, oh, well, you know, what happened there, what happened there. It's all evil. Oh, I it's see. All, yeah, the kind, all the, kind, the kind of the what about It all shouldn't happen. Yeah. You know, take anywhere is a bullseye. You know, the beachheads around us everywhere. Just take take your pick. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the opposite in a way. What I just said is the opposite of Evola's apolitai, <laughs> which the Western is like, is so corrupt and horrible. Tear down anything. 
And that would be good. And my thing is like, no, do the opposite, hmm. you know, and do good in any direction. It's, it's kind of like the Kabbalistic tikkun, repair something in any direction and it'll be good rather than like, well, if you don't do it here, why, why didn't you do it there and all that kind of thing. So maybe that's naive and simplistic, but that, my, my heart just goes out to people yeah. that are out there. And it's like, it's like I, I'm sorry, I just, I, I just find it kind of, you know, um, painful you know to see the kind of, a lot of chatter about it yeah i see what you mean just the, and and there has been a lot of that that whataboutism which kind of mm -hmm. ignores the fact mm -hmm. that there's a lot of you know regardless of the politics whatever the mythology is on anyone's side or who did what it's there's a lot of it, it's a war i mean they were shooting at a nuclear reactor yesterday they could have blown up you know they were shelling a nuclear okay, facility well, it's, so. like, it's like was that were they a good shot or a bad shot? No, well, they were intentionally. Luckily, it was a bad shot, but they were trying to. They were intentionally trying know, to blow it up. I know, but it's like, did know? they did well? Did they miss trying to blow it up on purpose, or did they just get close? It's a warning, you know. Oh, then just shout over their, you know, foremast, right? Know, kind of thing. You we'll know? see. I guess I, I right before we did this interview, I, I saw that Macron just got off the phone with him, and and is essentially of the opinion that he wants to take the entirety of the Ukraine and the worst is yet to come. I don't know what it, what it will be by well, the time the show comes well, out, but... Well, I mean, the carpet bombing, I guess that's the thing, you know, what they did in Syria, if that's... I mean, I, again, I'm... I, I posted something on, on Twitter from um, a section from the um, earlier book, Dark Star Rising, about this psychological profile of a kind of character um, it's known as the right man or the violent man. And uh, Colin Wilson, who's a writer I've been in influenced by a great deal, writes about this. And the idea originally came from the science fiction writer A.E. Van Vogt. And uh, he wrote a novel about it. it was his, I think it's only non-science fiction novel. It's called The Violent, violent Man. And it was a study um, of based on the Korean War and prisoner of war in there. But fundamentally, um, Van Vogt, did the psychological study of a kind of character that under no circumstances would he or she, because it's not um, limited to, to males, would ever admit to being wrong and would go to increasingly extreme lengths to avoid in any way having to accept, you know, saying that they were wrong. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess in extreme form, not accepting, you know, not, not being humiliated or losing face. Um, and in, as we say, on a, on a kind of everyday level, um, this could be played out at, at the home, you know, where someone could be a congenial, you know, you know, very nice social fellow among his friends and business associates. But when he's home, he's a dictator to his wife and family and, and the absolute, you know, um, uh, tyrant who, you know, demands complete obedience. But all you have to do is look at history. <laughs> And you'll see quite a few of these character, characters do get up into positions where they have an enormous amount of power. And um, I don't know, again, my, my little backseat psychology here, Putin strikes me as someone who's um, sort of like that, a kind of character that um, just won't, won't back down and won't accept a kind of um, second best in some way. Um, so, I mean, you know, I don't know. What is he going to do after this? I don't know. But I suspect if, if he, 
I suspect if he is he's able to do what he wants to do in Ukraine, he'll 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 try it in other places as well. You know, this was a sign. You know, it's easy to look for historical par- parallels and. Well, if we punched Hitler in the nose in 38, you know, he might have stopped. That might have been true. I, I don't know. Could, could that happen now? But I guess there wasn't the nuclear threat then. So I guess that right. makes everything a bit different now. Yeah, that's a whole other level of kind of yeah. of mythological resonance that I, I wanted to talk to you about. Because in addition to the kind of Eurasianist mimetic complex that's been developing, which is fascinating to me. There's also the resonance of how this affects the West and the West, the West's mythology. So you you mention Fukuyama, for instance, and I've been seeing people online saying, "Well, this is the definitive end of the end of history. This is the end of the <laughs> New World Order, and it's the end, in a sense, of the post Cold War." period of, of relative peace and mm. kind of under the carpet military operations or or blatant ones such as in, in the Middle East or around the world that are just not reported in the media but it's a completely new perhaps a re- it's World War three perhaps for all we know so well, let's hope not yeah certainly but it, it definitely seems to put a jarring end to this long period of post Cold War self-image for the West, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, we made references to Eurasia um, meme and idea, and, um, you know, I, I don't think we spelled it out, but it's this notion that, well, Eurasia is the mother of all continents. It's it's the largest landmass on the planet. Um, and according to people like Alexander Dugan, who is this um, how should we say it, uh, radical, eccentric, um, geopolitical thinker who's on the fringe of the fringe. <laughs> he's so far in the fringe that he's in the center. And it's the kind of thing he likes to do is like Velcro together antithetical ideas. It's this kind of postmodern kind of anything goes. Let's put it, you know, let's see what happens. Um, but he had, he, he, he has this uh, idea that he actually it goes back to this English uh, thinker McCormick back in the early um, 20th century um, that he believed that there's fundamentally a kind of archetypal, you know, one war that, that's going on, you know, throughout history and will eventually, you know, settle into being recognizably this. And this is between the maritime civilizations. And, and the land-based civilizations. And uh, this is the Atlanticists. And we talk about NATO. And the Eurasianists. And the Eurasianists are, um, they said, this huge landmass, the mother of all continents. And what's supposed to be happening now is um, that uh, Russia is not a, a nation like you know, other nations in, in, in the world. Again, this is the only time in Russia has not been an empire in its history, it's always been an empire. Um, that it, what is emerging in, in Russia and across the Eurasian continent, which stretches from Vladivostok into, you know, you know, wherever, um, <clears throat> is a new civilization. And this is the idea that it harkens back to the work of a German philosopher of history named Oswald Spengler, who again, a hundred years ago, had a, had a hit, had a bestseller, um, it came out in 1918, 1919, called The Decline of the West. 
the Untergang des Abendlands, the undergoing of the Western lands. And it was the end of the, and his, and he had this vision where history is not this linear, you know, just sequence of, okay, whenever historical records first emerged, that's the beginning. And ever since then, there's been this straight line of a kind of progressive history, which, you know, eventuated to us, or let's say the 19th century uh, or the enlightenment. And, you know, we're the end product of that. He says, no, no, no. Um, history proceeds in these organic kind of cycles and civilizations or or organic beings. They're living things that they're, they're born, they grow, they mature, they reach a certain level of, you know, perfect, you know, the best they're going to get. And then they drift off into old age and die. And uh, so instead of a long linear line, you have these sort of different cycles, these different circles of different civilizations. And for Spangler, the West was on its way out. And this, I mean, there's a whole industry of the decline of the West kind of literature that started in the early 20s. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, it's real big. Nietzsche it's real big right now. Heidegger yeah. and everybody. I mean, every, it's just like, my God, you, you know, it's just like this university courses on it. Well, it's essentially uh, the Make but, America Great uh, moment. Well, I mean, also. again, late, later on, but I'm saying, yeah. but, but Spangler, Spangler is the one who kind of uh, people like Dugan and Julius Evelo, who's the, this uh, Italian. Um, 20th century esoteric thinker uh, with very far right leanings. He cozied up to Mussolini and national socialism and all that. And then he was the kind of, you know, gray eminence behind um, quite a few neo-fascist movements post post World War II. Um, he, he, he looks to, you know, because they all hate the West. They hate the West. They hate the West. And so and so this notion that but what's supposed to be happening is that there's a new civilization on the rise. In Russia, and again, it's not it's not corroborative, but there's other people who said similar things like that. Rudolf Steiner, I mean, he's one of the ones I taught, I begin the book with. Steiner has gave a series of Rudolf Steiner, a brilliant uh, Austrian philosopher, kind of you know all-purpose intellectual in the late nineteenth um, century, became a theosophist and then developed his own system of spiritual science he called anthroposophy the wisdom of man but um he gave a series of lectures in 1906 in paris to um actually there was an audience of a lot of russians he was supposed to lecture in 1905 but because of the revolution or the aborted revolution then uh he wasn't able to do that but he had this vision of what he called the sixth post-atlantic post-atlantean cultural movement coming out of the Russian people because they seem to be very religious. They're the Christ-bearing people. I mean, the Russians tend to be much more religious than the West. I mean, the the kind of hot religion that, um, again, all this is cliched, I know. I mean, I, 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 I reposted an interview I did two years ago when the book came out with someone I know, uh, Nikita Petrov, this is what I know him through the internet, this Russian fellow has a, his podcast and all that. And he was saying, you know, all this stuff about the Russian soul, it is so cliched, man. And I said, I know it must be from, <laughs> from your point of view, it must be incredibly cliched. It must be like, you know, black people here and give out, Oh man, you know, we're full of soul and all that kind of crap. But, you know, but uh, at the same time, all of the literature, all of the history, if you read about it, this is the kind of thing. There's this, there's this, enormous religious sense that's part of, you know, deep in the psyche of the of Russian, which, which is, it, it doesn't really, it's not the same um, in the West, you know, uh, even though obviously there's people can be quite religious in the West, but it, it isn't as deeply ingrained uh, in them. 
And um, th- this was something that, you know, um, we, we just don't really understand this, I think, about them, you know? Right. At the same time, there's such an interesting, because you bring up Spengler, there's such an interesting realignment happening in the U.S. where, you know, Pat Buchanan wrote a book inspired by Spengler, The Death of the West, which later became... Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, no. Yeah. So that, 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 he put it out in the 90s and it's essentially, it became the blueprint for make America great again. Trump basically took it. Oh, I didn't it. know that. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I believe I, 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 I'm not a reader of Pat Robertson, so I wouldn't know that. Pat, Pat Buchanan. Pat, Pat Buchanan. I'm, I'm not sorry, Robertson. Pat Buchanan. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Pat Buchanan. Sorry, my mistake. My mistake. Yeah, but, but the other, the other right wing Pat on the paleo conservative <laughs> side. So, so the and the kind of Trump moment, suddenly they were drawing, like Bannon was drawing on Evola and, and Spangler oh, yeah. and this whole tradition and Madison Grant, the passing of the great race and things like this. But there's this really interesting and bizarre, I should say bizarre rather than interesting realignment in the American right, where instead of their longstanding saber rattling for cold warrior tradition, now they're aligning with Russia because they're seeing Russia as the defender of Christian Christendom and well, traditionalism. Is, well, this, yeah, well, this is the image in in some ways that Putin is, you know, uh, has adopted. This is holy Russia um, against the permissive, hyper liberal, progressive, anything goes. Reality is up for grabs. You know, I, I, what I call in the book the me economy. You know, we we can have whatever we want. Everything's negotiable. You know, you know, whatever I identify with is suddenly that can be the case. And everybody has to, you know, uh, recognize that and so on and so on. And whereas, again, (laughs) this is traditionally the case with the Russian. There's what they call the we. We, we, they, They think in terms of the group. They think in terms of the community. It isn't so much the individual. Again, if you look in Russian history, the individual really doesn't matter that much. And even someone like, you know, Tolstoy, you know, War and Peace, you know, uh, if you read all through it and, and you don't skip, you know, his uh, long essayistic historical excursus in there, where he says, you know, um, Napoleon isn't some great individual who's imposing his will. You know, he's tossed up, you know, he's a cork tossed up. And even if you remember like Woody Allen's movie, Love and Death, it's, you know, that's, that's the joke. You know, he's in the middle of the battle and he's saying, oh, no one knows what's going on. That, that's, that's straight out of Tolstoy. So you get, the, it, the West has a sense of the I, the individual I, me, as being absolute and essential. That's what it's all about. It's all come, it's all come to this point where I, the individual, have free will and can choose and consume what I want and spend my money on what I want. That's from, from, again, everyone knows that there's oligarchs. Everyone knows they're all cynical. Everyone knows all those, everyone there is, you know, corrupt and, um, you know, after money and all that as well. But I'm, 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 I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about this kind of general back history to, to the Russian people. And it is, again, the whole idea of the steps, you know, they, this whole, enormous space opening up around you so there's there's this whole sense of this kind of you know the the, the land and everything around you encompassing you it, it isn't um this is the sort of thing spengler talks about you know uh you know the the image of the western eye in the gothic is the soaring gothic cathedral which comes to a you know a singular point and it's reaching up to the heavens but in the the magian you know kind of cultures it's it's the temple you know it's 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 the dome 
But yeah, I almost wanted, I almost wanted, I want to, that part yeah. of your, the beginning of your book really struck me. So I just wanted to actually pull it out and read mm -hmm. that paragraph because it was, I think it was so critical to the opening, basically what, what you're arguing here. So you say, Western man looks up, Spangler tells us, and points to the soaring medieval Gothic church spires as proof. These are the architectural architectural equivalent of the Western eye, the individual ego striving toward heaven. But Russians know nothing of this, Spangler says. They look out horizontally across the immense endless step around them, steps around them. And this limitless expanse leads them to think of the we, the indiscriminate embrace of brothers and sisters. I thought that was instead of the, as you put it, the Faustian fretting over an individual self. And I thought that was so condensed so much right there and is also... Mm so clearly at the root of i think the the kind of on point russian to be fair russian critique of the west which is you know no one knows you better than your enemy in a sense where it's like you know their kind of exploitation of the the exposed dangly bits of of mm, neo mm, mm. kicking at the exposed dangly bits of neoliberalism mm, is, mm. it kind of it says says a lot to us in a way and I, I thought also of the end of that Dugan's book, The Fourth Political Theory, where he makes this kind of eschatological apocalyptic vision of the, the good angels of Eurasia in conflict with the bad angels of, of the West. And, and I mean, that's, I mean, that's the thing you can't, I mean, yeah, obviously this, this all these things are, are wrong with this. We, I mean, uh, I begin the book talking about Steiner saying that, you know, the, the, the task of the Western European or the middle European uh, soul was to develop the eye, the independent eye. But what has happened that it's the independent eye has turned into this gluttonous me. Uh, so it's kind of done its job too well. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing we can't, what do you want to say? Um, yes, but at the same time, I don't think the kind of theocratic, you know, grand inquisitor scenario, um, <laughs> is, um, um, appealing. Right. And then at the same time, you know, you know, most likely, you know, Putin, I, 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 I you know, I, I don't suspect he's really informed with any deep spirituality. He's, he's a, you know, man in power. He's in power forever. I mean, there's a lot of mafiosos who go to church, you know, uh, and I'm sorry, Father, but I had to, I had to get, <laughs> you know, I got to had to get him out of the way, but here's a contribution right. uh, and all that. So, I mean, you, you can do that. And again, again, this is something that's part of the Russian history. This is what they call double, double belief. And this, this is what happened when the, the, the pagan, beliefs um, were being, you know, basically pushed aside when Vladimir won, Putin's namesake, um, converted to, to Greek Orthodox, and he went around converting all the other, you know, towns and villages. And they basically, yes, okay, we'll do that. And we, they pushed the pagan statues into the river and all that. Um, but they carried on with the pagan traditions at the same time as the new Christian ones. So this is, again, there's something, I have a chapter called Russian man. And again, this is, you know, some of the cliches about the Russian soul, but this whole idea uh, that um, the, the Russian's soul is able to incorporate these contradictions that the Western psyche just finds, you know, the tilt, the tilt sign goes off. We can't do it. Um, uh, and there's these wonderful essays by Hermann Hesse, the German novelist, 
about Dostoevsky's novel, where he, he coins his phrase Russian man. This is exactly what he's talking about. He's saint and sinner. And, you know, it, Rasputin, the holy devil, you know, I mean, he's boo, <clears throat> both, both things at once. And it's a strange kind of antinomian beyond good and evil uh, or before good and evil and some kind of, you know, sacred innocence in some way. Um, that is just, it's just the, the West in our rational, intellectual, um, you know, way of looking at the world just finds absolutely on we, 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 incomprehensible. Yeah, and I, I think we're that it's embarrassing, embarrassingly so. I don't know if you've been watching, for instance, if you watch Biden's State of the Union address or, or anything like this, but but you know, they, there's a huge effort right now on both sides of the aisle to, to cast Putin as evil, and that he's doing what he's doing because he's evil, and that that's the extent of kind of the explanation for it, yeah. and it's it's frustrating to see adults like Nancy Pelosi talking in terms like that whereas honestly whenever i've watched putin speak it's he actually speaks in realistic geopolitical terms other than they're evil over there which is this kind of paternalistic mm, american mm. thing but but that said i think that in addition to in addition to the mythology coming out of or whatever's coming out of the east this is also exposed or in a sense re reinvigorated the the American traditional spirituality, which is mutual hatred of Russia. There's this sense that everyone is just so excited because finally, every, you know, everyone can go back to this old Cold War programming and have a mutual enemy. And it's like, we've kind of been depressed and at a loss since the fall of the Soviet Union and casting about for new enemies like radical Islam or drug dealers mm, in the mm, 80s and mm, things like mm, this so there's mm. this kind of spiritual joy in this very dark sense it seems in the halls of power in the u.s right now which is kind of bizarre so we're having our own moment of embracing tradition in a, in a really grim way well hey let's hope this is not actually a scenario uh, that some very extreme eccentric characters um or saying on the fringe of like the end times and all that kind of thing. I mean, well, but um, the president of the Ukraine, the president to, of the Ukraine not, came out and yeah. said it was the end of the world today. Well, so. I mean, I mean, I mean <laughs> as I said, you know, um, was that a hit or a miss? <laughs> the missile. We'll, we'll see. Was that out of place? That, are, are we are we happy they have very good aim and just scared us, or are we happy they have very bad aim and they missed? So. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 you know, who wants to be an alarmist? Uh, okay, don't raise your hands. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, that again, that's the rhetoric going around, um, and it's again. I don't want to sound too cliched about the Russian soul and all that, but there is there is an apocalyptic strain um, in the Russian sensibility. Um, at least historically, at least this is said by many of the Russian thinkers themselves. And if you look at the history, they have these localized kind of things. There is always a time of trouble. There's always a collapse. I mean, one of the cliches about Russia is that it doesn't have history. It is history because it has, it has, it has, it's like, it's like England. England doesn't um, have a climate. It has weather. It has it has everything that you have everywhere else <laughs> all the time. 
And again, I, I came into this relatively naive about, about Russia's history, and I just was reading, and it's my God, you know. Um, it's like Game of Thrones all the time, you know, all these battles and, you know, uh, 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 Machiavellian backstage uh, politicking going on and assassinations and murders. And, 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 and again, out of the chaos emerges some powerful individual who gathers the peoples together and all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, what, what one hopes it's not going to play out into some ridiculously, you know, stupid kind of thing. And I, I, I would think Putin is smart enough, you know, not, not to, I don't know. Yeah, no. Not to, not, not to listen to his own rhetoric, but I, I don't know anything about him. I'm just saying, you know, I, I, you know, that that's just me, just you know, hoping. That yeah, I don't really think happens, anyone you know? quite expected him to actually do it this time. So I certainly didn't. Maybe well, you saw the, it coming well, from that, your research. Well, that's the but... thing. I mean, that's the thing. We, 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 we. <laughs> Again, one doesn't want to talk about they in, in that way, but you know. Um, and he's playing chicken, and and he he knows that we're you know the people not we but the the uh, the people he's playing chicken against are not going to push too far. You know, Sad, sadly that kind of the math adds up to like okay he'll you know he'll, he'll probably do whatever he wants to do in Ukraine. Hmm. Sadly, I hope not. I mean, you know, I, I it's remarkable what those the, you know those people are done you know standing up. Uh, up, to, uh, up to that. No. Yeah. I wanted to actually ask you about Ukraine and I'm wondering if there's, does this kind of what you're talking about with the Russian soul and, and things like that extend to Ukraine or is there a very different self-sense or, or mythology in Ukraine? I'm wondering how those, you know, is there a conflict there as well or is it really I mean, just I, brothers I, fighting I mean, each I, other? I, I'm, I'm no expert on it, but, but, you know, it, it, it has its own history, its own culture and all that. But as I said, it's a, it's a part of the world that has been in battle, you know, um, over the centuries. Um, I mean, in, in the past, you know, there's been other attempts to eliminate sort of the Ukraine identity. I mean, um, in the early, well, Late nineteenth, early early twentieth century, Alexander the Third, um, before uh, Nicholas, who was the last of the Romanovs, um, had this Russification program, and that included elimination of the Ukraine language. And so, um, it wasn't part of you know the national curriculum. It wasn't in any official you know capacity. Uh, there wasn't you know books weren't published in the language and all that. Um, and so, you know, so I'm not saying that's necessarily what's going on now, but it, again, it's part of the history there. So I'm sure the people in Ukraine know of this. I don't know that, but I, I would assume this is something that makes up their own, you know, national history. So they're aware of this kind of thing. And so they're, they're, they're fiercely, um, asserting their own independence. But I mean, again, it's a long, it's a long, long kind of history there yeah well there's also the mass starvation in the 30s by Stalin, oh, yeah, yeah, which is yeah, yeah. probably I, much I, I, more I, yeah. I mean uh, yeah absolutely i mean um, um, yeah you know all of that and yeah. so um yeah i mean <laughs> who, who wants to go back to the, those that old days you know so yeah it's really hard to i don't know i, I just want should i even ask you what you think is going to happen is it a futile question 
Because I, 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 I can't I make any predictions. What I hope happens is absolutely nothing. And everything right, okay. stops and the Justice League arrive. Yeah, Make all the tanks disappear. But that, that I suspect that won't happen. But um, I, I don't know what I think is going to happen. I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, again, like NATO doesn't want to cross the line. It's understandable. Could you possibly have airlifts in, you know, because people are running out of food and all that. Could, could, could that happen? Would that be a humanitarian possibility? You know, uh, airlifts into food and at the cities that um, everything's cut off. I don't know if the, um, Putin would allow that. So I don't know. Um, yeah, there's nothing you can say, you know. Um, I, and it, it's, <laughs> I have the luxury of sitting here um, in my home in sleepy London town where I can watch it all on the news and also, um, how should we say, feel guiltily gratified that this might mean I can sell a few more books <laughs> okay. because this is happening. Um, uh, but I, I, I would, I would think that, um, you know, I hope they can come to some kind of agreement where, you know, they just stop shooting the missiles and, killing innocent people and you know yeah. who else doesn't think that <laughs> right right well we'll see i i do want to ask that from the tremendous amount of research that you've done and particularly on the philosophers the influence of philosophers from the turn of the century on putin what people who would like a if people would like a better sense of kind of what is going on in the spiritual world, the, the spiritual world in Russia, perhaps as related to Putin and perhaps not. What what should they start with? What are the or rather, what are the main things to, that people should know? Because we've touched on a lot of stuff that mm. maybe is completely mm. is probably completely new to people. So yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, well, it depends what what you want to know. If you want to have some idea of kind of the philosophical or the p political philosophical ideas informing, you know, Putin to some degree, there's this philosopher named Ivan Ilyin. And if you Google him, you'll, you'll, you'll just find, you know, it's, so it's, uh, I L Y I N. Um, but I mean, I should say, um, it's it's all it's all jumbled up because there's Russia there's Russia itself which is uh, an enormous you know uh, mystery in many ways you know to the West and then there's Putin you know who's a particular kind of um, you know emanation of it and manifestation of it. it's a different kind of thing uh, so I mean put it this way a, a book that I drew on. Uh, it's not it's not going to talk about this particular political stuff so much, but uh, just to give you an idea of the kind of weird virtual reality, let's say, that uh, the Russian public have been living under, which, you know, if you watch the news here, uh, I'm sure it must be the same uh, in, this, in the States. It's like, you know, the Russian people see the, the TV, but it's a state state controlled television. So for them, there isn't a war. You know, there's no innocent casualties it's a military operation blah 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 you know a special kind of thing and it's you know patriotic whatever whatever so you know they control everything and there's a wonderful book called i, I god it's by peter pomerantsev 
and I think it's called Nothing is True or, or um, Everything is Possible, Nothing is True or something like that. I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly the name of it, but I, I name check it in the book. But he, he was a journalist and someone who worked in the media in Russia in the 90s and into the early 2000s. And this was the time when um, there's a fellow named Vladislav Surkov, who was Putin's early PR man, a spin doctor. And his job was just to create reality for the Russian people. And that's what he did through, through the through television. I mean, again, we in the West, we have, you know, we have internet, we have all this access to stuff. And uh, my understanding, the majority of Russian people don't have that kind of internet access. There's a small minority who do, but most get everything from the television. It's all state, state-fed TV. So they just created this intricate, you know, enormous kind of network of, of virtual reality, um, infotainment sort of thing. And one of the things was to create kind of faux um, anti-government groups, you know, or, or critical groups who would have these faux discussions on television and, you know, kind of criticized it. But they were all being funded by Surkov, who was inventing them. And he was inventing both sides and all this kind of thing. And so so I get, I, I'm just saying it's, it's a book that talks about, <clears throat> I mean, you know, that's why I say like Trump did as a one man show for a while, what Putin was really doing, you know, and, and still is still doing now. I mean, <laughs> it's amazing because he is seems to be working out. You talk about a meme. He seems to be working out this kind of meme, this Eurasian meme. I mean, this is I talk about in Dark Star Rising and, and in um, Return of Holy Russia as well. And it seems to be spreading this idea of, of this thing and me, who knows you know i mean right. it, it, is it something that's true and it's working out to be true or is it something that's true because he's making it true well that's that's really interesting and it's also something that the american right has very much started to pay attention to and you said earlier that you don't want you wouldn't want that type of theocratic state and i would not either but there's quite a lot of republicans in the united states that might very well very well like that type of a state and we have people like tucker carlson looking to russia or in a, in a different sense victor orban and things like this and, and seeing this as the model of the basically completely absorbing the Duganist line that it is Russia that are the defenders of Christendom, that are the good angels and the neoliberal West is is morally bankrupt and decadent and degenerate and all well, of well, this. Well, they're, they're fifth columnists then. It, well, this uh, is because, certainly an because argument. Because Dugan wants to, you know, destroy, the American empire must be destroyed. I mean, right, he, right, he, right. He, he, he got off that for a while because of Trump, but, you know, he must be back on it now with... Biden. I mean, Dugan must be thinking. He must be saying, <laughs> "Right, everything, everything's working out." It's phenomenal. You know, according, according to you know plan. You know, as, as as Putin had said. Now, you know, I mean, you know, sadly. Yeah. So that's. I mean, that's a pretty blatant way to put it. If we now have like a big, you know, if the the freshly reinvigorated paleoconservative part of the right in the U.S., which basically now is the Republican Party, our fifth columnists. I, I hate to sound like CNN and <laughs> claim that there's Russians everywhere, which I find very irritating. But, but in a sense, ideologically or mythologically, perhaps there are in the sense that people are kind of in, falling in line with this this meme. I, I, I mean, I, 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 you know, what can I say? I mean, I, I, I haven't, I haven't paid that much attention to what's going on, you know, in American politics to 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 to, to you know speak too intelligently about it, but it does. 
I, I just feel like in so many ways, nobody watched the movies in the 70s or the 80s or anything <laughs> like that. And it all seems to be happening now in real life. And we're, we're and, and that's what I've been writing about for the, the, the past few years, too, is about how the simulacra becomes <laughs> the reality. And now, oh, my God. That seems to be happening now in on this large kind of way. And does didn't anybody else see this? You know? Yeah, that's and, interesting. And satire. Is there anything is there anything we can do? Well, write new simulacra, hopefully. I guess uh, well in advance. Yeah, that's the thing. Or I mean, I, I've also always thought because we've put so much of that, projected so much of that into the popular culture, so many apocalypse movies and so on, like maybe, maybe we can, you know, exhaust it, you know, empty it out of ourselves and put it into the non-reality. But maybe, maybe there's only so much space in that alternate space and it's coming back now. Maybe. Because we, we, we filled it up too much and the, the pipes are backing up. You know, right. Well, well, also, I mean, in a sense, you, you kind of said that there is just something fundamentally apocalyptic about about kind of the Russian Milu, and there is about the American Milu as well. Oh yeah, you know, oh, we're no, all faith. Course, I mean, we're all faith well, revivalists. All here. religious. I mean, except for the kind of you know you know damp C of E Church of England, which is a compromise. Which is like uh, yeah, it's okay. We just need a bit of this and all that kind of thing. But I mean, all real hot religion is apocalyptic because it wants the transformation of the world. It wants the you know. A meditation of the eschaton, you know, as Robert Anton Wilson warned us about you know, with one tongue in his cheek uh, many, many years ago. But that's what they want. They want to bring on. And that's what Doogie wants. He wants to bring it on. Yeah, I you saw know. an interesting. Let's have the final slam bang crash pop, you know, war of all walls. And let's get it over with already. Yeah, I did see. I watched at one point a couple of years ago a YouTube. I don't know how I found this, but there was a YouTube of Dugan in the Middle East meeting with kind of a bunch of radical Islamist people, higher ups, and basically talking about this and how they need to destroy the U.S. Israel complex and all of this and bring. And he, I think he says at one point, "We need to bring about the eschaton." <laughs> it's like, wow. Well, this escalated quickly. This used to be fun, yeah. you know, but no, yeah, not anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, no. I, I mean, you know, I, I, again, I don't know. I've, I've only read and I've seen, you know, things about him, but he's frothing, you know, most of the time. But you know, how, you know, some of it is probably real. Some of it's, you know, show. Um, but I don't, you know, I mean, what, what can you say? I, I don't like the idea that the planet's becoming one big, you know, ATM machine or, or, or maybe that that's dating me already. Those things <laughs> are gone by the wayside. Yeah, now. Bitcoin. Yeah, what, what, whatever it is, uh, 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 um, contactless <laughs> right. payment thing. But as I said, bringing in this theocratic, um, far-right traditionalist view is not going to make things any better. No, it's not. And that's, I think that deep down, it really is just a fear reaction to a world that is changing too quickly in the same sense that I think, uh, I think it was Carol Quigley kind of makes the argument mm. that the reason that the reason that the red terror was so bloody in Russia was because they tried to industrialize too quickly to, to keep up. And they kind of went from feudalism to industrialism overnight. And I think you even, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it was either in your book or I must have read it somewhere else that kind of Russia currently has tried to enter the information age almost overnight. And there may be 
similar things going on. But in the same way, I think that the American, the reason we got, got Trump in many ways is because just so much of the, so, so much of the country and Americans have a lot in common with Russia in Russians in many ways. So much of the country has just been left behind by the, the pace of technology. Uh, and uh, so there's, uh, uh, there's gonna be this lurch backwards into, but I guess nobody expected it to be so dramatic. This kind of basically new mimetic complex of anything people can find Spengler, Evola, Dugan, Pat, Pat Robertson, the other Pat, you know, anything that, <laughs> to, to well, go I mean, backwards. I, mean, I, 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 it's kind of, we're in the sort of the post everything time. You know, it's post post. <laughs> it's pre. Well, I've I've said for many years I'm I'm an advocate of pre next thingism. <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? Whatever's before the next thing, I'm 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 for that. You know, because there's a, you know it's. I mean, just to say post in itself is so limp because it just means it's 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 whatever happened. But it's certainly the postmodern time has. It's this huge umbrella term under which so many things that are, what, what do we want to call it? You know, the return of the irrational, the crazy, you know, the you know, inconsequential, all this stuff that doesn't fit under the kind of modern, rational, scientific kind of rubric is, is let out of the bag now or has been um, in different ways. I mean, that that's one of the things that happened in Russia in the 90s, too. You know, they said for years and years, um, although there had been an underground um, you know, uh, activity of, of esoteric and you know magical and variety of occult kind of stuff. It all suddenly became very, very available. And uh, again, that's something. If, if they have a whole science that's different than Western science, the cosmists. Um, you know, going back to Nikolai Fedorov in the late nineteenth, early twentieth century. He wasn't a scientist himself, but he was this strange kind of sage-like uh, character. He's known as the, the Socrates of Moscow, and he practically lived in the Romanyansov library. Um, but he had this ide fix about um, what he called the common task, and this would be the one single unifying you know, work that would bring the whole planet together, and this was the revival of the dead. Uh, and not only the dead immediately around us that happened to just died in the hospital, but, you know, the dead that are buried. And not only those, the those that, those that have completely sort of disintegrated and their dust had spread out into space. How it escaped gravity, I don't know, but the dust had spread out into space. Um, and actually, that idea, because we would have to go out, we would have to develop space travel in order to go out and collect the ancestral dust that he said. And that idea itself gave birth to the Russian space program because there was a fellow named Konstantin Tsiolkovsky who, who sat at Fedorov's feet at the, at the library, from the Yamsev library. And he listened to this. And then he later went on and worked out the actual rocket science. It really is rocket science. He worked out the rocket science in order to figure out how to get off the planet to go collect the ancestral dust. Um, and he, he, these are only the two. And, 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 and later on, this is what I mean, I mean about people like uh, Vladimir Vernadsky, who actually coined the phrase newosphere before Teho de Chodin. De Chodin sat in on these lectures at the Sorbonne 
in the early 1920s. And his, his book, La Biosphere, was the inspiration for Biosphere 2, which, as we know, later stages, Bannon. Right, 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 right. Had an interest in. <laughs> and the people who translated Vernetsky's book were um, involved in the Gurdjieff work. So there's all these weird, weird, weird connections, but and some of the cosmic sort of ideas, if you're aware of them, and if you know the Gurdjieff work, you can see, oh, actually, yes, that's very similar to that. Uh, and we tend to think that, you know, Gurdjieff got them either out of his own, you know, fertile you know, imagination or, you know, from the Sarmong Brotherhood. Um, but there's a, there's, a, there's a whole different way of looking at the world. And again, I'm not saying Putin is the great hero of this. And um, uh, he, he's a politician. He's a mafioso. He's been in power for ages. And his main concern now, I would think, I mean, obviously, you know, his main concern is winning this war, not this special military operation, but the war um, in Russia. But his main concern is who, who's, who's going to follow him. You know, because he, he's not, he can't be in power forever. So he's got to, he's got to find some guy who's going to take his place and take care of him. Like the mafioso dons do. They got to get the guy who's going to make sure they're okay when they retire. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be interesting. It's, it's also interesting that you bring up the Russian space program, because that reminds me, I don't know if you saw this or not, but there was this really, perhaps I'm reading too much into it, but there was this really interesting exchange that just happened today where the Russian Russian rocket manufacturers cut off rocket engine exports to the West. And they said, well, you know, they can't use our rockets anymore. They can, I don't know, ride brooms, ride their broomsticks, <laughs> ride their broomsticks. I, and I thought and immediately I was like, this, this must be, you know, that immediately struck me as this hilarious comment on the West's embrace of witchcraft and the, 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 the oh, Russia's the view of, of us. Witchcraft too. I mean, well, well these, sure. But I mean, you know, the witches it, for Putin, you know, <laughs> but as opposed to the kind of Putin's kind of orthodox revivalist, kind yeah, of the view sure, of the West yeah. as Satanist. And no, but he's, like he's covered all the bases because, you know, yeah, it was in the news. There was this whole coven of witches doing all these spells to protect Putin and destroy the enemies. Well, there's all Russia. these ones doing anti-Putin spells over here. So it's just it's yeah, hilarious. But and it, well, but then Elon Musk tweeted back, "Well, this is an American broomstick, and it was a SpaceX rocket." <laughs> it's just like so, it's just like this is so it's so bizarre. But maybe I'm reading too much into it. But it seemed like there was something uh, going on there. Um, well, resonance is you know you, you if. if you're sensitive enough and, and pick up the subtle vibrations. You will, you'll, <laughs> no, you'll notice them. Yeah, very, very um, interesting. But no, but I'm, I'm just pointing out there are all these very, very strange ideas that, from the West point of view, um, we just find. And uh, I said this this fellow Fedorov. He sounds like a, a you know you know complete eccentric, but he impressed people like Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, um, and all of that. So he had no idea how we would revive the dead, but he knew this, this had to be the one great task that, you know, we owed to our ancestors and all that sort of thing. And again, it's this whole notion in the Russia about what we have to do, the common task, forget about your individuality. We are all cells or all brothers. You know, this is a wonderful sense of the brotherhood. Um, you know, we are all one, this organic unity in the West is this atomistic, Oh yes, we all agree. We'll shake hands and say yes. I'll sign the paper. Yes, I won't do that. You won't do this. And you know, we all have this wonderful kind of you know rational you know uh, social contract. Whereas they have this 
organic, you know, unity and all that. I, I guess it's the Vogue, you know, in, in, in their own, you know, mm. <laughs> again, I'm sure for many Russians, it sounds like a cliche, but this, it is the cliche, but it, it, it is what it is said and, and you can find it in the literature, you know. Well, there's something there's, I mean, that's really beautiful in, in a way. And I think it's hard. I think that if anyone really stopped and really thought about it, you know, intelligent people in the West would be hard pressed to really say that the extent that we've pushed individualiza individualization and as you say, atomization is healthy because people are more connected than ever. It doesn't talk about cliches. People are more connected than ever now and lonelier than ever. And, and the pandemic was a hyper, a hyper acceleration of that where all of a sudden everyone is atomized in their digital world, but can't connect physically. So I, I don't think that, I think that, that the, as you say, the taking from Steiner, you know, the development of the ego and the I and the solar mm -hmm. identity and all of that post enlightenment. I don't, I don't think anyone could argue that it hasn't kind of broken down at the edges and become mm -hmm, absurd. Mm -hmm. No, but that's the thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think many different sources rec recognize, you know, the problem. It's, it's what, you know, whether the cure is worse than the disease. I guess that's the thing. <laughs> the um, theocracy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but, but the thing with Steiner, I mean, I mean, he, he, he really felt that uh, some new cultural impulse was going to come out of the Russian people. He called them the Christ-bearing people. As I said, they, they basically accepted Greek Orthodox Christianity, lock, stock, and barrel. Um, and one of the things about that, when they accepted it, you know, a little bit more than a thousand years ago, um, maybe about a thousand forty or something like that, um, Unlike in the West, there were, in the West there were all these schisms and were all this, there was all this debate and all this argument and all that. But Greek Orthodox, it wasn't like that. They sort of had it was all settled, and they just kind of accepted it. And there were just certain things that they that, and they also accepted this notion again, the apocalyptic notion that history was heading somewhere. It was heading to the second coming, the parousia. It was on its way. And and in the book, I I wonder, you know, can we relate? the kind of Russian acceptance of the notion of, you know, history was moving towards something with their pension for pilgrimage and the idea of this wide open space around them all the time. And they're always on the move, you know, moving towards someplace. I mean, Russia is one of the, is a country where it was, it actually was colonized through religion hmm. because the her hermits go, go out to the forest, their equivalent of the desert. And then an enclave, you know, we kind of gather around them and then the larger community, and then that would turn into a little town. And then the hermits who wanted to get away because things were getting too busy and crowded would go out into the forest a bit more. There's a wonderful book by James Billington called The Icon and the Axe. And, and, and these are the two, you know, kind of symbols um, for this expansion. So the icon was, well, the icon were these, again, this whole thing, the thing that convinced the early Rus, the pagan Rus, to convert to Russian, uh, to what well, would become Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, was beauty. It was the beauty of Constantinople. They were overwhelmed by the Hagia Sophia. They were overwhelmed by the chanting, by, by the candles, by the incense, by the glittering gold and the, the marble and, you know, all of that. And they tried to recreate that in Kiev. And mm. that was later destroyed by the Mongols. The, the Great Golden Gate in Kiev, if you know Mussorgsky's um, pictures at an exhibition, um, this piece of music, there's one passage known as the great golden gate but this was 
something. There's a there's a great gate in Constantinople and in Kiev. They wanted to recreate it. So that that was the thing that overwhelmed them was this was this kind of beauty. Um, this and the icon was a promise of the transfiguration that was to come. In, in, in the drab world of your village with mud <laughs> and 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 uh, animal droppings and everything you have to deal with there was this the, the oh the icon is just like ah oh. i mean we today we're saturated with all these images we have no idea what that would have been like it would have been the equivalent of in the west people going into the gothic churches for the first time and, and seeing the, the stained glass which would have been a transfiguring experience for them well I so this say- was the, the icon was the promise of this actual world that was on its way so the apocalypse would have been the transfer transfiguration of the world into something like the icon. Yeah, I have to say, I spent about a year kind of delving into the Orthodox world in Los Angeles and even to go into these tremendous, tremendously beautiful churches out of Los Angeles was transformative and tremendous and trans and, you know, what it felt like coming out of the village of mud and dirt and pain and suffering into something eternal. And I don't think that there's almost no overlap with with certainly the standard American conception of Christianity or the Church of England. And well, the thing is, it's a beautiful of, tradition. When, when, my jug read the Church of England when I first came here and lived in London. I was brought up Catholic, so um, okay, okay. I loved images and all that. When I first went to a CV church, I thought it had been burgled. <laughs> because it was absolutely empty there was nothing there <laughs> and i thought my god what do people do when they come here what do they you know not that i was religious anymore but I thought, they, they have what, potlucks what, you know. what, it was like it was looked like an old loft space in new york like in, in, in the early <laughs> 80s or something absolutely empty that's very funny. Well, it's also i think very telling that in the so, I mean yeah, but, yeah, but but you know but but again and I was going to say it was, it was also very telling that I think in the in the 2016 alt right moment, one of the primary memes was, in addition to Trump's "Make America Great Again," it was "Make Istanbul Constantinople Again," <laughs> and, and that became a major a major memetic point, which was kind of totally unexpected. Mm. Well, I guess it went the other way because it's Hagia Sophia's a mosque again, right? Well, they were saying to to, to re- retake Constantinople. No, I know, and but, Steve, saying, but it, it oh, I, oh, I see. Because yeah. it was a museum, and then now it's become. I, a mosque I see what you again, mean. Hasn't it? Yeah, I think this so was a of, band. I think this was a Steve Bannon thing, or or he fixated right, upon right, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's um, well, I mean that that that's that's one of the central points, you know. When the Turk took Constantinople, I mean that's that was, you know. but again, I mean it, it enriched uh, the West because the Renaissance. <laughs> We quite we would not have had the Renaissance right. had that not happened. So here's the you know it's the crooked the you know crooked work of history you know where pain and suffering you know lead to something else in in some ways you know. Well, hopefully we. I I, I hate. <laughs> this is perhaps too glib of a point, but perhaps there is a silver lining to what's happening now in the same way that some something something good will come out of it. I don't know what, but hopefully. Well, you know. I mean, one only hopes, and we we we're in no position to know, right? You know, no position to sort of you know. No, but I mean, yeah, what what can you say? I mean, I mean, I, 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 I can say that about what I just said about the fall of Constantinople six hundred almost years right. later. You know. Um, uh, at the time, <laughs> it would have been hard pressed to explain to any of the participants that yes, 
in the great scheme of things, this may lead to, you know, something else. So, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, there's, uh, what do you want to say? Uh, it's kind of like the way in which no one ever experiences the greater good. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Nobody. Yeah, honey, how do you? Oh, wow. I just I just got my little percentage of the greater good today. Right. So I, really, <laughs> I really feel very good. So it's just no, it's just not like that. I mean, you know, history may be written by the victors, but it's also read by, you know, people like myself who have this wonderful leisure. Yeah. And and experienced in the moment by people who are yeah. probably yeah, not having have so great of a time. No time for anything like this whatsoever. Well, where can people find, I've, we've been talking, this has been a great conversation. Where can people find your book, The Return of Holy uh, Russia? Well, at um, all, you know, great uh, outlets of, um, you know, intelligence nearby. I guess it's on Amazon. Uh, it's called The Return of Holy Russia. Um, and it's a follow-up to an earlier book called Dark Star Rising, which is about uh, Trump. But there's a long section on Putin and Alexander Dugan and a variety of other esoteric and you know quasi-spiritual religious influences at work today and uh yeah there's some other um there's some videos online about it as well if you google me and go onto youtube it's it's hard not to find things these days so you just yeah. like throw some words up on google and you'll find right but, uh, no thanks a lot for um inviting me on again I, I thank you conversation yeah, and I hope to have you on again, and hopefully it will not be, this war will not still be going at that time. Yeah, so. yeah it's a nicer day, because I, I, you know, uh, yeah, I've had some other books come out, but, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this down the line. Though. Sounds great. Thank you very All much. Right, well, take Gary. care, Jason. You too. Take care. My pleasure. Bye-bye now.